0: This is Alan Stein Jr. My new book, Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best, will be available from all major book retailers on January 8th. Raise Your Game takes a rare peek behind the curtain and shows you what the top coaches and players in the game do during the unseen hours. I share their routines, rituals, and habits, as well as proven strategies that you can implement with your team immediately. If you want to maximize your coaching impact and influence, order your copy today at raiseyourgamebook.com.
1: Hello, coaches. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Lake Oconee Academy. I'm so excited to be starting our episode 32 of the Championship Vision Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to Sam Allen, a former All-State point guard at Brookwood High School in Georgia, played his college career at Reinhardt University, where he was the starting point guard for a school record 125 consecutive games. An all-conference player at Reinhardt, Sam compiled over 1,500 points, 500 rebounds, and 400 assists during his college career. He also led his school to their first-ever national tournament appearance. Sam received All-American honors at Reinhardt and has a master's degree in sport administration from Georgia State. Since graduating from college, Sam has worked eight years as an assistant coach at the collegiate level at Faulkner University and Hart University, including working under two national championship head coaches. Sam also runs blue collar basketball, which focuses on team and individual training, basketball strength and conditioning, and provides a recruiting service for college coaches and high school players. Sam directs courses on the PGC summer tour and is a PGC Glazer Coach's Clinic Coordinator throughout the rest of the year. He and his wife, Sarah, live in Atlanta, Georgia. They have two sons, Jackson 6 and Cooper 4, and their child on the way. Let's welcome Coach Sam Allen. Kevin, you there? Hi, Sam. How are you?
0: Man, this is amazing. We got it.
1: (laughs) I tell you. Yeah, I think it was just... um, I sent too many. I I checked with Anchor, and it's just too many links that I sent out. Uh, somehow, I got I don't know what happened, but uh, so glad to have you on. I appreciate it,
0: man. I'm excited. I, I love talking hoops, coaching, development, leadership, whatever, uh, whatever topics we're going after today. I'm excited to do it.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate you joining us. Uh, a lot of the are probably the same guys you work with. Lots a lot of high school, middle school coaches and so forth. They're just trying to learn the game. Um, and I do it because I love to pick the brain of you guys. And I always pick up one or two things every podcast. Hey, tell me a little bit about um, your background and where you played. I know you played at uh, Brookwood and so forth, and had a great career. Tell me how your background has shaped you into what you're doing now, like with blue collar basketball.
0: Yeah. Yes, yes. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, no problem.
0: So, yeah, my background, you know, I'm I'm from Atlanta originally. And like you said, I went to Brookwood High School. I was fortunate to play. i say not only for like a good varsity coach, but just a good coaching staff. Um, you know, you don't realize it at the time, but when you reflect back later, I mean, you, you realize how big an impact coaches can have on you. Uh, just being on a team and your sports experience, you know, just really shapes or I'll speak for myself, I guess, but I think i also speak for others. Like, it really shapes or helps shape who we are, you know, um, and who we become. And so, I, I, you know, I played for Eddie Martin, who's now the head coach over at Buford High School and, you know, has had a ton of, you know, on-court success with the, you know, eight state championships and coached a ton of college and NBA pro players. Um, So playing for him and then, um, you know, and I often share, Kevin, I've been the guy – I tell players this all the time because I can, I think I can relate to most players because I've been on both, both ends of it. And what I mean, I was a 30, 30 guy. You know what a 30, 30 guy is?
1: Uh, no, no, go ahead. Explain.
0: <laughs> oh, well, that's a guy that goes in the game when your team's up 30 or down 30 points. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> and, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. which you know That's not a good place to be. That means you're on the, right. you're on the, the end of the bench and, uh, I was a third street (laughs) point guard my ninth grade year and coach Martin Martin pulled me in the office and just basically told me uh, I give the condensed version but you know said look if you want to be a part of our program you know you're gonna have to get better and uh, you know he shot me some truth which I think all good coaches you know deliver I think they're truthful with their players and uh, he definitely was and (laughs) kind of lit a fire under me and ignited me to really, really get to work and, and commit myself to becoming, you know, the type of player that I said I wanted to be and that I I dreamed of being. So I wanted to be this type of player, but I didn't put in that type of work. And, um, you know, which we'll get into later in this conversation, but PGC basketball, who I also work with, you know, we have a saying that we use, which is do your dreams, excuse me, do your habits line up with your dreams and aspirations And when I was a 30-30 guy, my my habits didn't line up with my dreams and aspirations. And then I I went from being that guy to, by my senior, an all-state point uh, point guard, and we were the number one team in the state, and we almost won a state championship, and I got a college scholarship, and I was the guy that the other team was, you know, (laughs) full court denying me, not letting me get the ball, and they're in the other locker room game planning on how they're going to stop me. And... I say that not to brag or boast, but say it is like, you know, hopefully any players listening to this, um, you know, it's so important that who you are right now doesn't doesn't have to be who you are a, a year from now or two years from now or even two months from now. We're all growing and getting better, but it is important to get truthful with yourself as a player. And so I went on and played in college, Kevin and, um, you know, I was, again, back in that, I was the guy on the end of the bench my freshman year, and then later on, I was the guy the other teams were trying to stop and game plan around, and so I've been on both ends of it, and it's really what inspired me to start Blue Collar Basketball, which, you know, we're an Atlanta-based training um, organization where we we work with players, really, Kevin, from a, you know, a college level, although we work with some pro guys early on, but mostly now college, high school, all the way down to youth players, and Um, and so we you know it's myself and I have a few other coaches that are phenomenal great coaching staff and we so we do a lot of training we work with high school teams all over Atlanta running their off-season program you know team training then we do individual small group and we uh, and then we also have travel ball teams so yeah uh, that's kind of where that's how you know but, but it was really originated and birthed because of my experience as a player I wasn't ever the most the quickest or most athletic player i had to work to become the player that i was and you know i simply want to pass on those experiences and learnings to players i work with and we work with now because man it's so awesome to see those light bulb moments so cool to see kids you started working with and when they were in eighth grade and then you know seeing them by their senior year and um so that's that's what we do that's kind of the uh genesis of it and also, like I mentioned with with PGC, but I'll stop there and um, see we'll see where we want to go with it.
1: Yeah, and I, I tell you what I love because I'm, I'm I'm good friends with Gene Durden, and I know you know Gene love Gene. really well. And I tell you, I I could I can talk to Gene every day and pick up something he and the one thing that I get from him and the same thing that impacted you it sounds Like with uh, Coach Martin was the truth. I mean, he just gave oh, you the yeah. truth. And, and And not what you wanted to hear and i don't, I'm not sure how many coaches are committed to that about giving their kids the truth and so forth uh what what do you i mean what do you really believe on that? I know with your kids you work out with or train, you're giving them honest feedback, aren't you
0: absolutely well, yeah, and I want to talk about that I think giving the truth well let's let's find out why coaches aren't giving the truth to their players well, here's why, in my opinion and my experience really not an opinion is um, I think sometimes coaches shy away and especially in 2019 and I'm not saying it's wrong and where they source it from. But the reality is a lot of coaches are shying away from the truth because they're afraid of a kid transferring. They're afraid of really coaching their best player hard and holding that person, that player, uh, that, that young man, young woman accountable to their actions. And it's not easy you know being a truth teller it's not easy holding kids accountable and I don't want to confuse either kevin and i don't I don't think you're this way as a coach like you can be a um a very demanding um high accountability <laughs> coach who tells the truth and never raises their voice either I, I think of a guy you know that most people are familiar with would be a brad Stevens you know we sure. see the calm collected you know personality on the sideline you you' you've seen in recent years some of his you know, passionate times, but he he is pretty, you know, calm and just, you know, a calm-natured guy, it appears. Um, But does his program have high standards? You better believe they do. Do you think he tells the truth? I bet he tells the truth a lot, more so than probably Mm -hmm. other NBA coaches. Um, But then you can also, you know, you've probably watched Gene's practices just as, as I. Gene's a passionate, a fiery guy. He he raises his voice, and he find that that works for him, and it, and it and it has a lot of success. But you know what? We're using we're comparing we're showing Gene and Brad in this Stevens in this conversation. You know what? I think both those guys probably have, and I'm saying this some somewhat ignorantly about Brad Stevens. I don't know him personally, although I do know um, I, I am friends with one of his former players on his Butler national championship teams, Ronald Norad, who's now an assistant coach for Charlotte Bobcats. And, and sure, so sure. I remember Ron, him. Yeah, Ronald yeah, sure. and I've had many conversations about Brad Stevens, and um, so I'm sh- I'm sharing some of this from <laughs> what I've learned from him. But uh, you know what, Gene? So I'm I'm showing two different extremes of Gene's a you know a truth teller. Brad Stevens is a truth teller, and they have probably two different approaches. But I think what they have in common is I think they're probably pretty good at building relationships with their players. And so when you can give the truth, but there's a late relationship behind it. You know, more 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 times than not, players are going to be more willing to listen. And you know, it, does that make sense?
1: It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, yeah, just from experience for sure. What what
0: I find challenging <laughs> in my line of work now, you know, because I coached in college for almost ten years, and and gosh, had a blast doing it, and missed parts of it. What I miss is. I would go deeper with fewer, like, you know, I had, we would, you know, I'm coaching 12 to 15 guys and, you know, recruiting them, coaching them for four years and and you go pretty deep with them. Now what I do, I go wider. I don't get to go as deep with as many or as few, you know, and that's challenging and why that's also challenging is let's just say I was coaching, you know, let's say I coach your son and I'm coming in the gym and I'm working with them once a week and we're in there for an hour or two hours it's hard to build a relationship in that short amount of time yet also me 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 be demanding as a coach and you know hold your son accountable and push him to to where he needs to get to or um that that is a challenge in the line of work I do now whereas you know you're 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 a high school coach and you've got your team and you get to go deep with those those girls that you coach you know
1: yeah, I totally agree. And I think um I have an advantage here. I'm at a very small school. It's a small charter school. Uh and I, I want to continue on what you're saying. Okay. Cause I have I have an eighth grader, Sam, Hannah Heinen, who's actually a big part of Point Guard College. Matter of fact, she's <clears throat> you probably have worked with her and probably some of the clinics you have done. And then I have another sophomore kid that are tremendously passionate for the game and love the game. I can't get them out of the gym. What advice would you give to kids like that to kind of further their development? Uh, and they, they, you know, and obviously their, their parents listen to this podcast. So I really want you to share with them what advice do you recommend for kids who absolutely love the game at those two ages or grades?
0: Yeah. So great question. Um, I mean, if they love the game, they I'm assuming they love being in the gym and working on their game, right?
1: I, I can't get them out of the gym. I mean, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and uh, they enjoy being pushed and they're actually, I think they're smarter than me. They love the game. They're always thinking the game. They're watching the game and their parents and their dads um, really kind of guide them on that. They take them to games. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, and, and if you look at them athletically, they would not win in any type of track meet, but they're so skilled. I mean, and a lot of it is what you guys are doing with point guard college. I mean, Hannah loves point guard college and she eats that stuff up. And, um, but they're not tremendous athletes, but they yeah. love the game. Well, no, my, how, how can they continue that love?
0: Uh, great question. So I think three things. One is the fact that they love the game. I mean, Man, what a what a blessing that is for you as somebody who's going to be coaching them and and is coaching them. Because um, nothing like coaching a player that loves the game, you know. Like, gosh, that that invigorates you as a coach. It it inspires you. It motivates you. It even it raises your standard with kids who really love the game. Because you're always searching. Right. You're searching for ways to reach them, to teach them, to to raise raise their level of play, and it forces you to be a better coach. Number one. But back to your answer to the question is, I think number one, the, the perspective I would offer them is make sure that you're not just putting time in the gym, but you're, it's not what you're doing, but how are you doing it? Because they've probably at this point been exposed to some pretty good drills, they probably know how to work on their jump shot. They probably know to work on their weekend finish at the rim. They probably know how to work on their ball handling. And as do most kids. And, and I would say with YouTube and today, most kids can get on YouTube and find out what Steph Curry's ball handling workout is. And, and then it's a, it's a yeah. matter of whether they're going to do it or not. So, but if, if they love it, it sounds like they're going to do it, but it's not about what they're doing at this point. It's about how they're doing it. Do they do it? with great intensity, every rep, or do they take a rep off? Do they, when they get a little tired, do they push through that? Or do they go over and take a water break and, you know, drop a post on Instagram, like how they do it now is so critical. And and who are they in the gym with like working on, like just making sure they're working on the right things. Because I I see a lot of kids working on the wrong things. They put in the work but they're working on a 12 dribble step back three and they can't make a layup right now. And yet, but they (laughs) saw James Harden do it on, on NBA TNT. And they saw it on all the sports center and and on their social media timeline. So that's, that's messaging. They don't, they don't realize it, but they're subconsciously being told that's the cool thing. That's what I need to go do. And so I, I just, I think first, them understanding. And that's our job as adults. There's a, there's a guy, um, I think even, I think his name, I think Tim Elmore, who lives in Atlanta, Kevin, I don't know if you've heard it. Have you heard of sure, Tim Elmore? Sure. I have. Um, I, I was yes, actually sir. listening to his podcast this morning. Um, uh, Mike Neighbors, the Arkansas, University of Arkansas his women's coach turned me on to Tim Elmore. Yes. And uh, he, he talks a lot about this is the IY generation and, and most of these kids, know they they have access to information we're no longer kids no longer need to go to us coaches or teachers to find information because they already know right. it they already have that but they do need us coaches teachers parents to tell them why this information is important and what to do with it and so it's our job to to teach young players that it does matter what you're working on can you catch and shoot like before you work on any of your dribble moves and, you know, 14 dribble combo moves, let's first be just a good catch shooter. And then let's work on finishing at the rim. And then as you get that foundation laid, you you pour the concrete on the foundation of your house. We can start putting the bricks on and then, you know, put the roof on. When we put the roof on, so to speak, like that might be, you know, a next level advanced move where we're working on more advanced um, skills. Okay. So, Man, I'm getting excited. Let me slow down. You asked me that question. <laughs> uh, the, what do we tell those players? So that's number one. I think it's, it's not what you do. It's how you're doing it. Okay. Um, what was the next thing I was going to share? Uh, well, do you, any, any follow-up to, to what I just shared?
1: No, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I was just thinking um, on what, the kids that I had, both of those kids are not what I call fancy players. They're, they are so sound, Mm -hmm. Sam. I mean, it's, and that's what I appreciate about them is they're so fundamentally sound. I think the problems that I see is they, at at their particular ages, they try to advance too much. Sometimes people are telling them things, uh, particularly on the AAU circuit and so forth. Hey, you need three or four moves. And I'm a coach that I think you need one move and a counter. So I think sometimes they're being coached too much at the aid mm-hmm. you Yeah, that's a good point. And that's another topic. That's another topic. Um, 'cause I believe in just sound basics and I think um I think we give kids too much. But I don't know if I added to that. No, no, not. that's but, good. But can, I, can, I
0: jump in? can I jump in and add the two yeah. other things they I uh, they they came back to me and I wrote them down now. Um, the other two things are things I think a little bit outside the box that I don't think most players are thinking about I'm not sure how many skills trainers and AU and maybe even high school coaches are thinking about um, as part of the these development plans for a young person so the skills matter we just talked about that you know them being in the gym what skills are they working on how are they doing it I think the second piece is are they working on maybe what, what I've come to believe over the last several years? And and I could, I could you me and you may do this interview five years from now, and I may change what I'm about to say. But right now, this is my truth. Yep. This is what I believe in. Um, and that's competing. I think competitiveness is the number one skill. I think it's hard to teach. Um, I think some would even say, you can't teach that. You're born with it, which I disagree with. I actually think you can teach it. Mm-hmm um sure and let me tell you a story on that and why I believe that um you know this goes we often relate back to our own experiences as a player or a coach right so as a player I was a very competitive person I'm still a very competitive person you know now and I and I, if I am play you in ping pong I want to beat you um and I have found that we can teach competitiveness we start our travel ball teams about five years ago and at the end of the year we always ask our kids hey what um what do you think we we value the most? And we don't ask them that just at the end of the year. We'll ask them that sometimes in the middle. Because what, what they answer, how they answer that, Kevin, I think tells us a lot about what we're saying or what they're hearing. Because you know as a coach, you know this. I'm telling you something you already know. When we say something to our kids, what we said and what they heard could be two different things. You found that to be true?
1: Sure. Absolutely I true. Mean, yes. you, you may
0: pull a kid in the office and you have a one-on-one with them. And they leave the office and, you know, three hours later, you got an email from mom or dad saying, why would you tell my, my um, child that she's not any good or he's not any. Well, well right. ma'am, I didn't say that, <laughs> you know, but kids hear what they hear. And we just have to work on how we communicate it. But um, but the point being is competing. We, we were asking our kids and they were saying a lot of the good things they were saying, well, we think y'all value being a great teammate, communication um playing defense and i i didn't hear any of them say competing and i and the more i thought about we weren't as competitive as i would have liked to be well going into that next year we made competing a focal point of our coaching and not only of our coaching but of our practice design so how we designed our practices we made we we would not go more than 15 minutes without doing something competitive whether that's one-on-one games three-on-three, two-on-two, one-on-one finishing games, one-on-one, like two dribble limit games, dribble attack games, post-up games, five-on-five games, Kevin. And I I think to go another step forward, and I hope coaches are finding value in what we're talking about here because I think this is really powerful, um, which is not only doing that but then tracking the wins and losses. So we kept track of all that we put it into like an online Google spreadsheet and we monitored it. And you know what we found is like our most competitive kids, ironically, coincidentally, they they won the most in practice. And and so I, I think competing is, is the most important skill we can um, – that a kid can bring to the table, not only in basketball to help, you know, your team win more games, but also in life, you know, when they get a job someday and they're – They're competing um, against, you know, we're really just competing against ourselves, mostly, you know, the person in the mirror. But I think that's the second thing I would tell those girls back to your question from about 10 minutes ago. And then the third thing is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Can I ask you a question really quick about that? Um, I I love the competitive part. And um, we try to do, sometimes I think we overcompete in my practices and lose track of, well, we focus on technique, but we always try to go technique, we teach, and then we compete right after it. Okay, yeah. Uh, but but I guess what I'm saying, is when you were talking about winners and losers, if a kid's losing a lot, is that a major issue? Or, or how, what do you do to adjust that? Let's say a kid is consistently on a losing team. And believe me, I have players that are consistently on a losing team. Do you try to build more competitiveness in them, or is that something that you limit playing time? What do you do with that?
0: <laughs> Another good question. It actually, you're, this question leads into the third point I was going to make. I think there's an overlap here, which is um, what else can we help help our young people with and players with? Is we can we can teach them um, leadership. Which under that leadership umbrella, I'm going to put adversity. Uh, we could probably put the toughness thing under competitiveness, but I think, I think when a kid is losing, you know, they're 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 coming to a fork in the road. And what, what we found to be, you know, what science, what some science would tell us is the number one attribute that predicts future success. Are you aware of what, what they say this is now? like the number one characteristic that, that if you look at people, you can say that'll predict whether they're going to be successful in whatever they do in life. You know what that, that characteristic is.
1: I would, I would say grit and toughness. Yeah, Grit,
0: exactly. Grit. And what is grit? Well, you can define it a lot of ways, but the ability to work through some tough moments, the ability to push through when things aren't going our way. And so if, Little Johnny or Chris or Sally or Melissa's struggling, you know, we don't need to protect them from that. We need to allow them to work through that. It doesn't mean we don't need to come behind and put our arm around them and encourage them at times. But we all I think we need to do that. But I also think we need to say, I believe in you. You have it in you. I know you you're not you're not finding success right now, but you have it in you and you're going to have to figure out how to get it done. Because every player goes through that on any level, on any level. Some of the greatest basketball players ever play this game, they've gone through those adverse moments, those struggles. It may be that freshman kid in the program right now who's playing varsity, and every day they're getting, you know, <laughs> drilled by that senior player that's ahead of them on the depth chart, and it's it's making them a better player. I was just watching a video um, last night, um, Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan and Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker were all talking. You may have seen this before, but the four of them were all talking and they're talking about when Manu first came in, how Tim Duncan was saying, Bruce Bowen used to give it to you, man. Like every day he would, he would just give it to you. He would kill you every day, like fouling you physical. And he's like, I knew you were something different Manu when you just kept coming right back at him, even when he was getting the best of you. And that that's that's what every player has to learn how to go through. And the players that that don't want to push through it, and you know maybe they're losing every day and they're not finding success, and they they decide that may, hey maybe basketball is not for me. Um, well, maybe it's not for them. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to be a failure in life. It just means they're not going to you know do well in basketball for your program. And I mean we we want to help kids. You know, there's a fine balance too because you don't you don't want them to. Uh, just quit on first notice. Um, So back to the Tim Elmore thing I'll share that I was listening to this morning was he was talking about how parents, he said, we have a great generation here, but, but parent, the kids are usually not the issue. It's our parents and how we're raising them. And he says, parents want to come in and protect the kid rather than prepare the kid. And he used an example of the, they had this, uh, this company was, had these six interns that had done an internship with them. And then they went through the interview process at the end and were about to offer him a job. And, uh, like five of the six at the very end of the interview said, thank you so much. Um, what I'm going to have to do now is, uh, I'm, my parents are going to want to meet with you and, and, and interview with you. <laughs> this is the employer, the owner, you know, the owner of the company. And they, the parents right. want, these are like 22, 23 year old, you know, Adults, and he's like <laughs> yeah that's what that's where we're at now, like parents want to protect rather yeah. than just prepare kids um for what's coming so look i'm I'm probably taking this down to some rabbit holes on the on some side roads here, but uh, yeah no, those are my thoughts. I love
1: it and i and I, of course, I got to tell you on the hardwood hustle and i I'm one of your biggest fans. I got to tell you that I listen to that every day. You guys do a terrific job. I think every coach in America." Should be listening to your podcast I, I I mean because what you guys, along with t j of course allen started it, and i i I listened right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. you guys provide well maybe i 'm just talking about myself, I know you provide me so many golden nuggets man it's unbelievable, and every coach it should be a requirement for you guys what you guys provide is unbelievable, and i I know I appreciate all that let me can I ask you a question about one of my players yeah. um, and I think this, I think a lot of coaches can. I have a freshman player who's a really good athlete, has she, but, but she's, uh, she's got a little anger issue. She's got a little edge, mm-hmm. and I love her for that. Right. But I also do not like that edge sometimes where she fouls or she'll throw a bad pass for no particular reasons. I'm pretty sure you've coached players like that. What would you do with a player like that who, has an edge, and particularly on the girls' side, that's great, but can't control it? How would you monitor that?
0: Yeah, I think some of the best players I've coached have been that type of player. I think when I first got into coaching right out of playing and I was coaching at college, and I think back to a young man I had uh, from inner city Chicago, a junior college transfer to us. He was a two-time all-conference player, one-time All-American, just a dynamic player could, you know – He could score it inside out, put it on the floor, post you up, you know. But the best quality he had was he was competitive. The worst quality he had was he was competitive. (laughs) And, you know, like, he he was feisty, man, and he was fiery. And sometimes, you know, he would snap back, you know, when you're coaching him. And, you know, I had to learn – like, it was good for me when I look back. Gosh, I think how bad of a coach I was first off. But, like, I think – I learned too, you got to take some of the, some of the bad with the good. And then it's our job as coaches. I I wasn't, you know, as a 23 year old assistant college coach, I wasn't, um, adequate or I didn't have the tools in my coaching tool belt to be able to, to, to coach him through this. Probably as I've reflected, as I'm saying it right now, I I can do it now. I think I can, I, I love coaching that type of player, like a Draymond green type that, it's sure. so volatile and competitive and emotional. And what I usually tell those players is I say, I first tell them what I love about it. I said, I wish we had a team full of you. I love your competitiveness. I love your fire. I love your passion. It, it fires me up. Like, I let them know that. And I, and I don't say it, but. It's not a it's not a statement to say, but, and here comes the bad. To say, and here's the opportunity. So let's just call your player, um, Let's just call her uh, Jenny for a second. So, Jenny, okay. Jenny is, you, you know, I would tell Jenny that. And I'd say, Jenny, oftentimes in life, our biggest strengths are our biggest weaknesses. You know, a biggest strength could be our heart. We have a great care for people. We love people. We want to do what's best for them. And our biggest weakness can be that sometimes we maybe, um, people take advantage of us in that manner. Or sometimes we give people fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances because we see the best in them. We have a huge heart for them, right? I mean, it, it life's full of contradictions like that. But um with Jenny, back sure. to her is I would say, but look, I love your emotion. I want you to play with emotion, but you can't play emotional. And and you're gonna have to work right. through that and I'm gonna help you through that, Jenny. But I will tell you, Jenny, here's what can't happen. I can't have you drive it in, and when you don't get fouled, and because you're upset with the ref, mouth off to the ref and get a technical. So I would put and say, I'm putting in these things to help you, not as like you know, I don't, I don't like. Um, I'm, there's a side note. I'm not a big like coaching through fear or punishment type of thing. Like I don't, I don't, I think that brings short-term results. I don't know that it brings long-term results. And I would just say, but Jenny, if you get a technical or you mouth back, like, understand you're out for the rest of the game and, and me and you're going to be having a conversation about whether you'll be suspended for a for the next game. And, like, I would just let her know that because there's got to be some built-in, you know, um, boundaries there that she knows she can't cross. And it doesn't mean she won't – she'll fall short at times. It's not like just because we had this conversation, she's going to flip her switch. and But I do think we're we're going to have multiple conversations, but she's going to understand that I love her that I care about her and I'm having this conversation because I want to see her improve. And ultimately we got a team to worry about, you know, like that she has uh, those players sometimes got to understand it's not about you. And most of them aren't like that because they're competitive players. They want to win and they want to help the team win. But that's usually the way I have a pro, I mean, like I, I coach kids like that all the time is, and, and I love, I love being a part of that, that kind of growth process with them.
1: Yeah, I love the word you mentioned, opportunity. I think sometimes as coaches, on that, we don't we don't look at it as as challenge, and we got But I, th- I see a lot of times, including the coaches we have here, is they'll give up on a player like that. She's not within the standards that we're looking for. And let's be honest. I mean, not every kid's going to be the great listener and the and the you know the the perfect kid, right? No, no. Because um, we're not. We're I, not don't, perfect I don't think coaches. we're patient enough. No, by far. I know I'm yeah. not. <laughs> um, you're right, though, and I, I think, I think I'm probably over patient. Uh, maybe because I've, I've been coached by some really good coaches who were very patient with me and stayed with me and pushed me. Um, but uh, I love that advice. I appreciate that. Okay, let me and ask you, Kevin. I'm going to keep. Have you, have yes. you met,
0: um, have you met Mono Watch a PGC owner, president? Have you met I many?
1: want to. I'm telling you. I I wanted to meet him, and uh, I listen to his stuff all the time. Um, I love what he's doing for the game. I would love to get him on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I mean, he would be great. Um, I'm saying that because one of the things that makes Mono such a good and great leader – I won't say good. I really think he's a great leader um, in many respects. But Mono always preaches to to us at PGC, all of the staff and seasonal full-time people is like, what if we approach each kid and each person, for that matter, it doesn't even have to be a kid, and we we assume they were doing the best with what they had? I mean, think about that for a second. What if we approach every situation, assumed just assume for that moment they're doing the best with what they had? So, Jenny, who is emotional and popping off, you know, during a game or something, well, what what if that's what she's been taught at home and she's seen her mom do that? Day after day. Well, she's only doing what she has been taught and known to be her truth. It doesn't mean right. it has to be that truth has to stay the same. Um, but we can, we as coaches, that's that's why we're a coach. We're we're there to coach them. We're there to teach them. We're there to mold them and be like. I love the word you use, patient. We're there to be patient with them. And I think, I think there's a. I'm I'm, always, I'm about. I've come to realize. I think, I think life's about contradictions. As I said a moment. We're we're being patient, yet we're also acting with urgency. Don't you feel that way as a coach? Like, you want to win right yes. now. You want that girl to – that guy to get it right now, but you're also patient with them. And we're always in both of those worlds, and we may be in both of those simultaneously. I think every coach battles that, I think.
1: And, yes, I, and I think we do a lot with our coaching in a sense that we put something in or a particular skill – And it's like, hey, we just taught it. Well, wait a second now. It doesn't matter. It's going to take time to build. And I think we're all in a hurry, aren't we? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I see it. I see it with myself, but I think I've learned over the years to really be a patient teacher man, because kids aren't going to pick it up until they're ready. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're so right.
1: Yeah. Um, Hey, let me me add to that, Sam. Uh, I saw you first – in Charlotte, North Carolina, in a PGC clinic. And um I thought it was absolutely fabulous. I, I didn't know that much about you, but I really um I really, really appreciated your knowledge of the game. You were you were going over offensive footwork and ball toughness, which I'm telling you, I don't know why me as a coach, maybe as a girls coach, I teach that probably more than anything else. We are ball tough. Mm-hmm. Um and you were going over the footwork and just being really technical about it. Why is this skill so undertaught?
0: Ball toughness skill.
1: Ball toughness and just offensive footwork. I don't see a lot of coaches really working on it, except the the really successful ones like Gene and those guys. I mean, these guys are working on footwork, and really Gene's a master at at teaching ball toughness. Mm -hmm.
0: I think, well – I don't know that I have an answer for that. I mean, I'll take a stab at it because um, I, I would probably need to go and ask, go around and I mean, I you know we work with a ton of coaches. It's a good question. I, actually, now that you ask it, maybe I need to I need to search for that answer. My my initial thought would be, <laughs> you know, maybe my, a lot of coaches just don't know how to teach it. You know, um, that could be one. Number two, they maybe they don't value it like you know you or me might, or to your point, Gene Durden might. Um, maybe they value something differently than that Um, I'm really big on footwork I mean being in the player development space I am like with blue collar basketball and we're obviously working on that type of stuff like daily weekly with our athletes so footwork I think is everything and we spend a lot of time on how to receive the ball like catching it shot ready I think so many players like I'm gonna go I'm going to coach my son's third grade game tonight. Then I'm going to go right after that to a, <laughs> to a high school high level varsity game tonight that I'm going to. And all the way from third, like you're going to see some of the habits of third graders. You're going to see them. To, I'm going to see them tonight in a high school, like elite level high school game. Kids not catching ready. Nice. You know, I don't, I, I don't know how deep we want to go technically here, but, uh, cause I could, I could get, <laughs> but yeah, I think, um, I think that catching it ready we call it uh or I call it a player versus power position. So I say all players you should catch it uh like a player. So that's uh, that's my new way of calling triple threat, right? So catching it, nice. I can dribble, pass, shoot. Now if if you're crowding me on the catch, I may not be able to be in triple threat or player position. I got to be in ball toughness position or at PGC we call it power position and that's where I'm going to get a I'm right. going to get a wider base. I'm gonna I'm gonna use my my extended elbows in a in a um in a safe way, not in a reckless way, but I'm gonna get my elbows out and I'm gonna I'm gonna put that ball in a power position that you can't take it from. And I'm trying to create some space so I can get myself back into a player position if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely does. Yes. So and are yeah, you I I yeah, I mean I, I teach probably the more i teach reverse pivot back pivot more than any other pivot okay what's your opinion on that i love it because of space um and and i i think you can catch and get in that power ready position really quick on on a reverse pivot i don't i don't know why i just feel like it's just it's quicker and my players can get in that attack mode quicker what's your philosophy on that
0: yeah i I teach uh, reverse pivot um, footwork as well. I think it's really effective. Not only – we we do what we call a Kobe series. Um, you know, I, I developed it from watching Kobe who essentially – you know, Kobe and Michael Jordan, you know, probably have the best footwork of anybody that's played this game. Uh, I don't know if you have studied their footwork or would agree with that statement. Do you, you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love – Probably more Kobe more than anything. I know MJ was a master of that. I know Kobe, from what I've read and research. I mean he really worked on it. Yeah, Co- <laughs> I mean Kobe's that guy was skill a, level was, yeah.
0: was crazy good. Like I think his skill level might be underappreciated. His skill level, he was a more skilled player than Michael. I don't I don't think he's a better player. Yeah, yeah. I think you know that that's a whole other debate. But they both played in the triangle offense, which means. They played facing up. They also posted up a lot, being a little bit bigger guard. And so they would catch the ball in the pinch post, the elbow. They'd catch it on the low block with their back to the basket. They had great, you know, reverse pivot game or turnaround. And Kobe really mastered it. So we developed some Kobe drills where they spin the ball out to the elbows, and we do a whole series of, like, reverse pivot shot, reverse pivot rip and go, reverse pivot jab and counters. And um, right, and then we extend it out to the wing. So, yes, we we spend a lot of time on that. Uh, I don't know. It it really comes down to what type of offense you run on whether it makes sense how much time to spend on it. I think every player should be able to do it because I, I like. I don't know about you, Kevin, but I like my guards to post up too, because I think point guards. I don't. I don't even care if they're five eight. I like for them to post up because they're, they're the best passers on the team and you can get some of your best looks by when you throw it in the post and the fi- those five defenders' eyes all, all look down on the floor and you can get a lot of kick-out threes. Or print. I mean, the Warriors have made it famous, their, their split game action, where they throw it in the post and they have no interest in Zaza Pachulia or Draymond Green playing one-on-one. <laughs> but all they're doing is sure. trying to get Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson an open three or a backdoor cut to the rim. And um, – but I, I think it, it really depends on your offense. So, if you're an offense that plays more face in the rim, then you're probably not going to do a ton of, um, like, reverse pivot-type catches. That's my thought. Yeah,
1: and we – well, yeah, I, I love that. I um, We run – I'm old school. We run a um, – we call it our emotion, but we run a, a flex series. We, actually, it's called Spots, the old Spots offense – where it's you know we run a flex cut and then a flare we don't we don't use the downstream and what we're trying to do we're trying to spread the floor get backdoor cuts things like that and um, my best two guards are my two best post up players like you're saying we get a lot of stuff inside and we're not that big we're small and they do a great job you know getting down low and posting up and uh, but we run a box drill Sam. Mm-hmm where, you know, just like you're saying, we pass it out. We reverse pivot. We also do forward pivots, too. Mm-hmm. But I just think pivoting's, like, under because I see the traveling. At our single-A level, traveling happens all the time by kids not being prepared and not using good footwork. I, I, uh, agree, I mean, we make 100%. the same mistakes, too. Yeah. Um, but uh, I probably over-teach it, but I'd rather over-teach pivoting than over-teach an offense. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm in line with that thought. Like, let's be better players and have better plays. Because um, if you can, right, if you can right. dribble, pass, shoot, make layups, well, your offense is going to be pretty good unless you just royally screw it up as a coach for your team. Like, <laughs> but if you can't dribble, pass, shoot, make layups, like, we could bring in Bobby Knight, teach the motion. You can have Phil Jackson run your triangle. You can bet best offensive minds in basketball – you know, you gotta have players, um, and skilled players. And I'm I'm that's one thing I love again, our I know our conversations are all over the place, but like I love what Steph Curry, his success over the last few years, you know what that's made cool again? Shooting. Skill.
1: Right. Sure.
0: You know, there was a time in the two thousands at the NBA level where I'd say late nineties to two thousands. Where, you know, everybody was getting bigger, more bulky, stronger, athleticism, dunking at the rim, like that became, kids were spending more time in the gym dunking, and now you walk in the gym, and a lot more kids are spending time shooting threes, now they may be shooting like like NBA, five feet behind the arc threes that you probably don't want as a coach, but at least they're working on the skill part of their game.
1: Yeah, and, and Steph's ability to separate his handles are just unbelievable. I mean, the more I, the more you watch that guy, but it, it's too hard work.
0: Hard work. Yeah.
1: Um, Reps. And it's no doubt. Uh, he doesn't handle it as good as Sam Allen, but he's close. Oh, three he's times pretty as good close. as Sam
0: Allen. Yeah. But a lot better. No, that guy's that. talking about a guy who, <laughs> yeah, he's transformed his game. I think people forget, like, that wasn't his game at Davidson. Um, you know, to handle it like that. But he just put in the work, you know. Hey,
1: I I know our time's limited. Hey, hey, can you just – just one more question, just really quick, before both of us have to Mm -hmm. go. Uh, Give me your top three – I always ask what I call my top three. What are your top three skills a basketball player must possess or not necessarily a skill, maybe just a concept that they need to be successful? Um, And I know my last – uh, person that I interviewed, uh, Joe Sestijan mentioned footwork, competitiveness, shooting. What's your top three?
0: Yeah, my top three. One would be competitiveness, which I've already mentioned. Two would be shooting. Three would be ball handling. I'm going to cheat a little bit on the ball hand because I, under the ball handling umbrella, I consider that to be dribbling and passing.
1: Okay. So your ability to
0: handle it with both hands and pass it with both hands, uh, I put under that ball handling umbrella.
1: And I love that because I think for the girls' level, and I know you teach a lot of the girls. I think passing is a neglected skill. We, I, I have to work on passing all the time with the outside hand pass, left hand. I mean, we're just still working on how to make a left hand pass wrap around, you know, into the post. Uh, to me, that's that's a lot of kids aren't skilled. Don't you agree?
0: I agree. I I love what you said there. We were. I was in the gym last Sunday we were talking to a group of about 25 kids we had in the gym and we were just saying passing is the most undertaught skill. Like you're amazed by how many passes don't, don't deli- aren't delivered on time on target, you know, a, a good shot. What would have been a good shot is now a bad shot. Cause they had to reach down to their ankles or reach over to their right too far. And it gets that, an open shooter, no longer an open shot. Cause you know, and again, a, um, a PGC phrase would be passing accuracy leads to shooting accuracy.
1: Right. So yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I totally agree. Because uh, I, I know we have some players that we like to lob it, and we and we allow no lob passes. That First of all, we're small, but uh, we're really been lately. We've been really working on passing. I I probably have to have you come in and really drill our kids on that. Take a look. I love to have you work with some of my players. Um, Sam, I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know it's and call it a, call it a quick lunch break. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh,
1: great podcast. Um, but I sure appreciate it. I know you really helped me out and hopefully you help out a lot of our listeners that, that tune into us and so forth, but thank you so much. And let's continue the relationship. And I appreciate you helping out me and so many coaches.
0: Well, Kevin, let me say this first off. Thank you for saying that too. Thank you for having me uh, you know, I, I do love helping coaches and players, but just talking like this with you, um, it stretches me. It it makes me have to formulate some of my own thoughts and put them into, a, you know, better organized manner. And, um, and then three, man celebrate you on, on doing a podcast and just putting a resource out there, taking time. I I know there's a, there's a component that you just love it because you're learning and getting better, but you know this kind of stuff helps coaches and uh anything we can do to to do that I think's really important and it goes back to we're in the impact business we're uh you know we're we're impacting young people's lives and being you know you can change a trajectory of somebody's life as a coach that's that's a pretty powerful and um daunting task all in one you know
1: and I know you have changed a lot of you have changed uh, my life and so forth, and my coaching made me a a much more impactful coach, and I appreciate that. How can the listeners get a hold of you?
0: Um, you know, on social media, I'm active on like Twitter and some on Instagram at Coach Sam Allen. So, Coach Sam Allen, um, you know they can they can connect with me there, uh, and if, if want to go deeper and. Through through that we could exchange emails and stuff and need be and yeah so and I, I'm and any coaches in the Atlanta area um, definitely would love to connect with connect with you and I'm in a, a lot of gyms and uh, so yeah let's uh, just keep the conversation going.
1: That'd be great, and I, you're gonna see it, quite a few of my players at Point PGC. Hopefully, you'll be there. I got quite a few of my players. Uh, one, a little Hannah Heinen. I was telling you about little eighth grader, my sophomore Destiny McClendon. They're going to be at your PGC camps, and uh, I would love to have you meet them. Okay. And I uh, love to have you evaluate them because I know you're you're tremendous at taking a look and helping out kids. Yeah. What, Sam, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Hey,
0: one, real quick on that. Once they sign up, because our, our registration, the PGC registration opens up uh, Jan, excuse me, January. I think twenty first, maybe. And once it opens up and okay. they register, please, um, at your convenience, let me know what uh, camps they'll be going to. And if I'm going to be there, I'd love to make that connection. But, yeah, thanks so much, Kevin. I sure will. Wish you the rest. Wish yeah, you the best for yes. the rest of the season. And if uh, if you want to do this again, you know, a few months down the road, just let me know.
1: I do want to do another podcast. I, I still have some more, some more questions for you, but, man, you really helped me out, and I, I appreciate you taking the time, Sam. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Right, have a blessed day. See you. All right. Coaches, how are you? Hope you enjoyed the podcast uh, I just had with uh, Sam Allen. What a great guy. Take out the time and <clears throat> speak to me here on the Championship Vision Podcast. Uh, my podcast is, is about coaches sharing a vision. And Sam definitely has that vision. His, his, main, his main objective is to make people better, make kids better, have an impact on people and coaches, and he sure has done that, uh, whether that's through his blue-collar uh, company, working with a training program that he has, working with kids, um, or Hardware Hustle, uh, where he impacts many coaches, including myself, through his great podcast with him and Adam Bradley. Um, uh, some of the things he mentioned, he, he had a you know great – his coach, Eddie Martin at Brookwood, had a great impact on him. And he mentioned that by Coach Martin telling him the truth about what he needed to do to get better. made an impact on him on what he does today, helping out kids. I thought that was very helpful for all you coaches, and that is be truthful with your kids, man. Tell, tell them tell – them, make sure they get better through what you tell them. Um, don't tell them what they want to hear. So, and I think I thought it was great advice for us coaches. Um, he mentioned about three things that are important. I asked him about a couple of my players that are that really love the game. So, what, what you know, how can they get better? And he mentioned about how to get better. He mentioned about competing and compete every day. You got you got to have drills where you're competing every day. Track wins and losses. What are you doing? to compete and win and he also talked about grit and toughness those are the three things he mentioned that were so important and i love that those three sometimes we forget about well you know she needs to shoot the ball better have better feet or whatever no those are intangible things competing and toughness so i thought that was really cool Uh, i asked him about uh how do you deal with like an emotional player a player that's kind of out of control but has a little edge to him or her. And how do you coach them up? And he mentioned about make sure that you tell them that they love their emotion, but not don't let you be emotional. And that thought that was really good point. And and tell them that this is an opportunity for you to get better. And you have to be very patient with Players that are very that really ride on emotion and, and passion. And sometimes you just got to work with them on a daily basis and be patient. <clears throat> so, but I, I thought that was a, I, he had some more. Obviously, he had some some great ideas. Please list. Please, uh, if you have any questions, you can get a hold of Sam or myself. We'd be glad to share with you. But I thought Sam taking the time out to come speak with me well, was unbelievable. So, hey, make sure you guys you're out there. If you have a vision, share it, man. Okay, all right, and anytime that you want to contact me, I'm Coach Kevin Furtado here at Championship Vision, and I really appreciate you guys listening, and I want you guys to share a vision and have a great day. Thank you.